Thank you for joining us. For your encouragement, we bring to you this biblical sermon from Dr. Charlie Dates, preached at the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. We hope that it leaves you refreshed and inspired. If you're ever in Chicago on a Sunday, we'd love to have you in worship with us. Join now. This message already in progress. All right. Y'all ever heard of Murphy's Law? What is Murphy's Law? Maybe you felt that way in life, that every, like everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Um, thank you so much. <clears throat> I want to read into your hearing in just a moment an episode from the life of Joseph that describes what resulted in his life when he stood up for what was right. It's a reminder to you and I today that it costs to live by principle and conviction. There is a price to choosing to do the right thing. Would y'all mind standing up on your feet with me, please, and meeting me in Genesis chapter 39? <laughs> do it for your glory, God. I want to begin reading, what does the, the screen say? They have it. I want to begin reading at verse 20. Thank you. And I want to go down to verse 23. When you got it, and if you're ready, Say, I got it. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything. Doesn't that sound familiar? Did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. It sounds a lot like Potiphar's house. He did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made him to prosper. It's Father's Day. I'm going to use, if it's okay, uh, a masculine pronoun in my sermon title. You got to be real careful these days. So I just want to he, him, you know, want to tell y'all where I'm going. I want to talk from the thought, you can't keep a good man down. Amen. That's not only the slogan of Viagra, it is also the claim of, of our text. You may be seated. That one was actually given to me by my pastor. I love it. You can't keep a good man. Y'all going to learn how to relax. I can tell those of you who are uptight, by the way. I know, I know, I know. Some of y'all, you don't scare me by the way you look at me, by the way. <laughs> I just need to go on record. I just need to go on record. Because there's some of y'all who think you're bullying me by frowning. I'm coming for you too today. Pray with me now. God, give me a church. A church that will laugh. A church that will rejoice. A church that will take the gravity of the gospel along with the humor of life. But speak to us now, I pray. I pray that you will help us in this moment to steady our minds in this sanctuary, to hear the truth of your word passionately proclaimed and rightly explained. I pray that today's sermon would be helpful. Use it to lift somebody's head. In Jesus' name, amen. We, the people of the darker hue, the chocolate delegation of these yet-to-be-United States, we know something about injustice. I'm not talking about the irresponsibility of our youth to ruthlessly ravage other people's property and to senselessly claim other people's lives without impunity. No. I'm talking about the long, bitter maltreatment of prejudice, the centuries-long saga of oppression and legalized maltreatment in America. A 
According to the National Library of Medicine, in every domain, clinical, political, educational, judicial, including microaggressions and police interactions, black people have significantly higher odds than any other ethnicity of reporting discrimination and injustice. Black people in America know the bitter, salty taste of injustice. You met him probably in a movie. Some of us read about him in Brian Stevenson's book. We're appalled that in 1988, Mr. Walter McMillan was put on death row without even being convicted of a crime. Before he was declared guilty, Mr. McMillan was accused of robbing and then murdering a clerk at a local cleaners. The problem is in Monroeville, Alabama, Mr. McMillan's a black man. And the deeper challenge to all of this is that he wasn't even in Monroeville the day that the murder happened. He was at his home working on his truck, frying fish for his family. And the DA took the testimony of a convicted criminal, one man, they took the word of one man and placed Walter McMillan on death row where he served or sat for six years until Brian Stevenson showed up. It's a tragic story of the many black people in Alabama who were put on death row, eventually murdered, electrocuted for crimes that they did not commit. And you know by now it's not just Alabama, it's so many places in our nation where cases can lack evidence, where people can be not even remotely connected to the wrong that was done, and they can be found guilty on the basis of prejudice, locked up, or even worse, killed. That's 1988. But we can go back further, Nikki, can't we? We can go back to June of 1865, when word finally hit the state of Texas that people had been continuing in enslavement for two years post the Emancipation Proclamation of January 1863. Y'all heard of these documents before, haven't you? Where President Abraham Lincoln declared that all people in the United States, regardless of race, or gender should be free of enslavement. But people in Texas didn't get the word. It was not declared. And in fact, they were yet living in the bondage of enslavement for two full years. Imagine that, being legally free and practically enslaved at the same time. There are multiple angles of vision we can take on that, but this holiday that we celebrate tomorrow and this weekend is a reminder that injustice is a long-plagued problem in our culture and in our society. That it feels like injustice gets away with the best years of our lives. That injustice robs us of some of the highest and holiest privileges that we have. And if you're, if you're listening to me today and you've never been pulled over like I have, for having done nothing wrong, if you've never been placed in handcuffs like I have on the side of the road for not doing anything wrong, if you've never suffered an injustice at a court like some of you have, then maybe you've experienced some other kind of injustice. Maybe it's not been with the court system. Maybe it's been with a family member or a father. Somebody who should have stood up for you, should have been there for you, but failed you in your time of need. Maybe you've been lied on at the office or pushed around on the playground. And maybe you have suffered at the hands of some mistreatment, some kind of malformation. And justice, friends, really does come across the gambit, uh, the, the color spectrum. It's, it's not just one way. It, it meets us in varying forms and pictures and spaces in life. And it throws life off kilter. But if your life this morning feels like it is off kilter, if it feels like 
it's not lining up because of something that was done to you, wrongly done to you. I want to submit to you that your life may actually be in perfect symmetry with God's providential plan for your life. Because God, although he does not cause injustice and trouble, he is able to repurpose injustice and trouble so that his plan for your life prevails even in an unjust prison sentence. I know what I'm talking about because I read a good text to you today that the plan of God prevails against the maltreatment of people in your life. That the enemies of God actually end up working for God when they do wrong to you and you're his child. That God's hidden hand actually can take state-sanctioned, legalized injustice and turn it around for your benefit and your good. If the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., had never been wrongfully arrested and convicted for fighting injustice in Birmingham, Alabama, we would have never got the letter from the Birmingham jail. If John Bunyan had not wrongfully resisted injunctions to stop preaching the gospel and land in prison, we would have never got Pilgrim's Progress. If the Apostle Paul had never been wrongfully convicted and wrongfully locked up in a Philippian jail, we would have never got the book of Philippians. If John, the Apostle, had never wrongly been exiled to the Isle of Patmos, you and I would have never got the book of Revelation. But it seems like God reserves some revelation for injustice. It seems like God withholds some information, some truth about himself. He doesn't give it to us on the beach. He doesn't give it to us at a steak dinner. He doesn't give it to us when there's plenty of money in the bank. But it seems like God withholds special information about himself and the advancement of our lives till when life pinches us down, holds us in a corner. I came today to tell somebody, stop shouting only when life feels good. But start thanking God even when life hurts, when it kicks your tail, when things don't go the way you want it to go. Because it might be that in that moment, God is actually learning you some things. That's how my grandma used to say it. He's teaching you some things that actually catapult, catalyze your life toward the fulfillment of his purpose for you. Listen, friends, it doesn't matter who you are. Into your life, some rain will fall, but there is purpose. That's what the banners say on the expressway side of our church. There's some purpose in your pain. And that yet does not absolve you, does it, from being the kind of person God wants you to be. I think in Genesis 39, these closing verses, I figured we'd slow down and take a look at a smaller pericope, maybe even theologically, to see that the faithfulness of God toward us demands from us a faithfulness to God. That yes, God is faithful to us, and at the same time, church, we are called to be faithful to him. God, we will see, is at work in Joseph's life, but we'll also see that Joseph is working for God. You can't be a slacker on your job and yet claim victim status. Are y'all in here with me? When God is at work preserving you, even in unjust circumstances, your faithfulness comes to the fore in the excellence of your work. I want to shout out, she's sitting up there, Jessica uh, Ashley uh, Garman is here today. She was voted uh, the next boss of the Cook County Bar Association. Uh, just a stellar sister doing excellent work. I want to shout out Clayton, who's not here right now. They'll be here tomorrow, but Clayton is about to be our next state's attorney. I think he's the only person who is slated on that ticket so far. I want to shout out Dr. Esau McCauley, whose new book is actually going to go up for a Pulitzer Prize. And, and just the nomination of it is a blessing. And then watch this. I want to shout out all the rest of y'all who show up to work on time, who don't steal the staples and the pens from your office who actually put in an honest day's work, 
who work with kids, who labor, go work. Because let me tell you what, when you are faithful to God, God has a way of elevating you, of, of lifting you, of protecting you, and of showing that his hand is on your life. It's an ugly witness against the gospel for us to be the Christians where we work and to be the sloths where we work. I'm ahead of myself, but I just want to lay my burden down right there for a moment, if I can, that the faithfulness of God to us really does demand a faithfulness from us to God. What kind of character do we see in the faithfulness of the life of Joseph? I think it's a rare combination of gifts, skills, and abilities, don't you? Joseph is strong like a soldier, but he's gracious like a mater d. Joseph is humble and yet he's wise. Joseph has the kind of strength to lead, but also a temperament to resist hopelessness. You can feel when you read the closing verses of Genesis chapter 39 that the adversity that Joseph has faced has not soured the cheerfulness in Joseph's heart. No, it's a rare combination, friends, because sometimes, although Joseph seems to maintain his cheer, happy people can be shallow. People who maintain a level of cheer cannot, can be out of touch with reality. Sometimes conscientious people, folk who woke, and I'm one of them, but, but folk who woke can be hardened, calloused, because they're so in touch with reality. Sometimes people with influence are really selfish. I don't know if you've met people with a lot of money, a lot of influence, a lot of celebrity, but sometimes, not all of them, but sometimes they can be the hardest people to be around. Sometimes, I've learned this the hard way, sweet people can be weak, can be taken advantage of because of their kindness, while strong people can be proud. But what's rare in the life of Joseph is that these opposite virtues actually combine to make a powerful personality. He has strength and gentility. He has joy and depth. He's conscious and he's softened at the same time. You remember what his brother said of him when we met him, don't you, in Genesis chapter 37. Here comes the dreamer. Man, they didn't know what they were saying. They didn't know how much of a visionary he was. They didn't know just how precise they were speaking about him. Joseph lives like a kind of visionary, and his gifts of vision command a confidence as he assumes leadership. He inspires people where he is. He, he commands respect where he is. I read to you that both in Potiphar's house, now in Pharaoh's prison, he's taken over wherever he shows up. And he doesn't take over simply because he demands it. No, they can sense that he has an uncanny uh, execution, a proficiency that elevates him to the top. Wherever he was, he's instinctively able to be the leader. And what's remarkable is that he's getting promotion in impossible, unlikely places. Nobody else achieved this kind of elevation that we read about in the life of Joseph. And that's where I want to pause to drive home to you and I the great irony of this text. Here Joseph is in the lowest point of his life, in the most ignoble place of his life, in prison, and yet Joseph prevails. And I don't want you and neither does the writer want us to trade the resilience, the success of Joseph as a mere reading of his strength of character. Yeah, Joseph had a rare combination of gifts. Yes, Joseph has an unusual mix of virtues. But, but to leave it there, to say that Joseph made it based upon the rare mix of his gifts and the strength of his character, to, to leave it at that point is to somehow miss the more marvelous personality at work in this text. 
To leave it there that Joseph's success was tied to his goodly temperament would be to miss the meaning of the trouble and the moral of your life story. Because while Joseph is the protagonist of this narrative, the real central character is the same one who's the key figure in your life. God is at work in jail. I did my best, really I did, to try to set y'all up for that. This is what I'm basically trying to say. It doesn't matter how skilled you are, how courageous you are, how strong your character may be, if God himself does not show up where you are, all of your gifts, talents, and abilities will fail. But I wish I had 20 or 30, maybe 200 or 300 gifted people in the room who have seen God do some amazing things. Some of y'all whose names I just called out, I wish I had some of y'all who could testify that it ain't your education. It wasn't the strength of your connection. It wasn't that you showed up on time to work, but it's that God showed up while you were doing your work and he advanced you in the world. When curtain raises on the drama of Genesis 39, 20, that's the radical, startling language of this text. It's meant to raise your eyebrow, if not a sense of righteous indignation. I, and I read it fast because I, I wanted to see if somebody was going to go, mm. nobody did it. So I knew that I had been set up for a good read on this text. Are y'all ready? Nobody paid attention to this or raised an eyebrow until you slow down. Here it is in verse 20. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, took him and put him, took him and put him, took him and put him. No due process, no court case. This Egyptian injustice system, this Potiphar, is judge, jury, and executioner. Took him and put him. What does that make you think? How does that make you feel? He took him and put him in jail, and there he was. You got to know that Joseph protested. We don't get it in the text. We find out later, right, that he did protest against what Potiphar's wife had done to him. But, but you got to know he spoke up for himself. And yet, although he spoke up for himself, he is the victim of injustice. And what does that make you think? What does that make you feel? Here's one of the things I think that it's meant to make you feel because the text answers a question that it doesn't ask. Where was God? when Joseph was lied on? Where was God when Joseph went looking for his brothers in Dothan and they end up snatching him up? Where was God when Joseph was thrown into the pit? Where was God when Joseph was pleading with his brothers to rescue him out of that pit? You, you gotta learn how to ask questions, good questions of the Bible. Where was God when Joseph was lied on by Potiphar's wife? Where was God when Joseph got thrown into the prison. Can I lean in a bit further? Where was God in your divorce? Where, where was God when you got lied on and they said you cheated? Where was God when your friends left you? Where was God when your parents may have abandoned you? Where is God when life is hard and difficult and it feels like we're all by ourselves? Here is what the text says. He was right there. I'm going to preach to my own self. Excuse me, y'all. But when you were crying at night, soaking your pillow with tears, confused about the way things were going to go, and you felt like you were all by yourself, the text says that the Lord was with Joseph. And in the same way that God was with Joseph, God is with you. Difficult circumstances do not erase the presence of God, but it is the presence of God that enables you to get through difficult circumstances. I'm a survivor. I ain't gonna give up because God is with me. Though hell and high 
against me, there is somebody who's with me. I'm tempted to walk off. I can walk off right there. I just explained to somebody why you woke up this morning in your right mind when you should have lost your mind five years ago. I just told somebody why you're still living in a house when it should have all come apart. The reason you're still here is because the Lord is. Help me preach my sermon to somebody else. Look at him and tell him, neighbor, in the car accident, he was with you. Tell him in the misunderstanding, he was with you. Just look at him and say, he was with you. I grew up in children's church at the Mount Calvary. Mount Calvary, I want to say like Marcus Calvary. Marcus, if you listen. The Mount Calvary Baptist Church, 1257, West 111th Street, Chicago, Illinois, 60643. And they used to wear this poem out in the 80s. Woo! They used to wear this poem out. I just got tired of hearing it. They would say, one night I was dreaming and, and I was going in my dream and I was walking on the beach with the Lord. And, and I looked and there were two sets of footprints. And, and when I was walking and I looked back over my life at the seasons where life was falling apart. And I'd be like, oh, here we go again. Life was falling apart and things were hard and difficult. I looked back and it was only one set of footprints. And I asked the Lord, Lord, how could you leave me in my hardest time? You know a chocolate person wrote that. How could you leave me in my hardest time and in my difficulty? When I was going through, I only see one set of footprints and the Lord looked back at me and said to me is that what you think this is when you were going through you only see one set of footprints because at that point I picked you up and I carried you and I got tired of that as a kid but I've lived long enough I've lived long enough to testify this morning that he will pick you up he will carry you through he will hold on to you in life Listen, I want to talk to you now, if I can. I just want to help you if I can. I want to tell you how God lifts, carries. That's right. I want to tell you how God reaches. This, this is the beauty of this text, and I promise you, I promise you, it's so good, we can't tell it all. The text says that the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. This, this word, I think in the King James, for those of you still reading in 1611, I think in the King James, it is the Lord showed him kindness. But the language of the text is that the Lord extended him kindness. This is a beautiful word. It shows up in Exodus chapter 7. Moses and the children of Israel are at the sea, and Moses stretches his hand out over the sea, and the waters part. It, it shows up when, in Ezekiel 30, a javelin is thrown out over the land, and it stretches over the land. It pictures a woman in Isaiah 3 who's trying to get a view of something, so she stretches out her neck to see what's going on. It's a measuring line over a city in 2 Kings chapter 21 to, to demonstrate the width and the breadth of the city. It's stretched out. This text says that when Joseph got into the prison, all the way from heaven, God stretched out his hand. It's anthropomorphic language. You got to appreciate God don't really technically have hands, but when people mess with God's kids, his hands show up in scripture and he has a way to stretch out. Is there anybody here that has ever been to the bottom but when you got there you felt 
Breonna Taylor has said. He said, if in the darkness we reach out and there's no hand reaching back at us, we are all people most miserable. But if in the dark you reach out and you can tell there's another hand reaching at you, you can bear almost anything. Friends, there is no place you can go where God's hand cannot reach you. I know, I know why some of y'all ain't clapping. It's because you got a cause and effect theology. That is, if I cause God to be good to me, nothing bad will happen to me. If, if, I, if I live a certain way, all my ducks will line up in a row. That's what some of y'all think. I can tell because I'm looking at you. And, and you trying to reason to yourself, why, why do bad things happen to good people and I didn't do nothing wrong and I don't understand how this could happen? Could you imagine if Joseph had that kind of theology? What did I do wrong? But this text is meant to say to us that sometimes you land in the dungeon and the prison, not because you've done anything wrong, but because you've done everything right. And when life falls apart, and you feel yourself in a dungeon or in a prison, don't worry, child of God. God is still good to you when you're in the prison. God is still good to you when you're grieving. God is still good to you when you are lonely. God is still good to you when you're depressed. God is still good to you when you're misunderstood. God is still good to you when your relationship has fallen out with your kids. God is still good to you when you feel like you are by yourself. You don't need a perfect circumstance to experience the goodness of God. God's goodness can show up anyway. He got a ministry of extension. But then I'm going to tell you this too now. And this is where I, I, I conclude. God has a ministry of PDAs. Y'all know what PDAs are, right? Public displays. Some of y'all ain't never been kissed. I feel so bad. I know, sermon going so good, then I got to go ruin it to some of y'all. But reminding you that you ain't never been kissed. Some people don't like that public display. Don't hold my hand. They don't want nobody to know that y'all together. So everything you do, got to be done in secret. Watch out for that, by the way. But that's neither here nor there. That's neither here nor there. I'm stick with my regularly scheduled sermon. But people who ain't ashamed, who proud, and I don't mean that in like the June way, I mean just like proud of, of, of walking in this thing. People who, who are there, watch this, they don't have a problem on and up. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. God don't have a problem owning up to those who belong to him. Here's how the text says it. It says, extended him kindness and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. God is saying, Joe, not only am I going to bless you, but I'm not going to bless you privately. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to transfer my favor onto you in a way where other folk who are looking at you can see that I'm with you. I wish there was somebody here today who got that kind of prayer. That's the way I want God to bless my life. I want God to bless me until people who don't even like me got to look at me and go, God is with that Negro right there. The, the Lord is walking with him and holding him up. And I'm so glad to tell y'all today, we got a God who publicly loves his children. I, I gotta go. I, I promise you, I hope to see y'all tomorrow night. I'm gonna cut across the field and tell you that was another time God put his love on public display. You, you miss it. Y'all should have, I'm waiting on y'all to shout before I get to it. I, I said there was another time where God put his love on public display when nobody else wanted us, when we didn't even want ourselves, he showed up through 42 generations and said, I know that they are wicked. I know that they are lost. I know that nobody does what's right, but I love them and they are mine. 
And when it came time to put his love on full display, he surrendered himself to kangaroo courts. And they put nails in his hands. Oh, I better slow down because some of y'all still sitting there like you don't know what I'm talking about. They lied on him and marched him from judgment hall to judgment hall. And they kept him up all night long. And they whipped him with 39 stripes. And they dressed him in an old faded Roman purple cloak. And they mocked him by putting a crown of thorns upon his head. And, and they spat on my Jesus. And they pulled his beard out from his face. And they whipped him all night long. And when it was all over, they made him carry his own cross. And then they put him up on that cross. And they drove not little cute Home Depot nails, but they drove stakes through his wrist and a spear in his side. And that was God saying, I love you this much. Is there anybody? I said, is there anybody in this church today that's grateful when you look at Jesus, that you see how much God loves you, but he didn't love you just enough to die for you. Oh, but he loved you enough to get up on the third day. And just like he got up, on the third day, he's coming back again, just like he said he would. Because you can't keep a good man down. They had him in the grave all night Friday. They had him in the grave all day Saturday. They had him in that grave all night Saturday night. But y'all help me now. Early Sunday morning, he got up because you cannot keep a good man down. Is there anybody who's thankful with me that God walks with you? He talks with you. He gets you out of trouble. He lifts you up. Say yes. 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 Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for another uplifting and inspiring message by Dr. Charlie Dates, Senior Pastor of the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. For more information about our church, visit ProgressiveChicago.org. Progress is yours through the gospel of Jesus Christ.